Okay, Ian, I just have to take a moment to brag a bit. You? Brag? I'm shocked. (laughs) Okay, okay. I just want to brag that I got to attend the big masquerade ball at this year's San Diego Comic-Con International. Okay, I know you're trying to make me jealous, but when I hear masquerade ball, I think people voguing. And when you say masquerade ball, I'm picturing nerds and masks. (laughs) Well, it wasn't either of those kinds of masquerade. You see, it's actually the name for the annual costume contest where people get to show off the custom cosplay that they've worked all year on. And this year, one of the biggest winners was a girl who made a disturbingly realistic bloater costume from The Last of Us. You mean she made a scary fungus monster from that HBO show? Exactly. Thankfully, I got to appreciate her costume without being chased by a bunch of fungus zombies from the show. (laughs) So is that where we're going in our Hollywood series today? Are are we talking about The Last of Us? Loved it. It was so good. Um, The writing's phenomenal. Like, I I just absolutely um, wonderful. We are indeed with today's guest. My name is Tara Karen. I have a PhD in epidemiology. Um, I concentrate on infectious diseases, uh, mostly HIV, um, but a little spattering of COVID and Zika in there too. Oh, I've been curious to hear if epidemiologists found The Last of Us as compelling as I did. Same, which was a big reason I wanted to talk with Tara. As it turns out, the show does a pretty good job of exploring some ideas in epidemiology that ultimately come back to math and statistics. But before we start exploring the fungal wasteland of The Last of Us, let's do introductions. I'm Ian Martin. And I'm Sadie Witkowski. And you're listening to Carry the Two, a podcast from the Institute for Mathematical and Statistical Innovation, aka MC. This is the podcast where Ian and I talk about the real-world applications of mathematical and statistical research. Or, in this case, Hollywood. As we like to say on the show, it turns out that you don't need a math degree to see how mathematics plays a key role in all sorts of unexpected places. In all honesty, you know, when it comes to math, I didn't get to the point where I was taking, like, advanced calculus. Um, Honestly, I started to get bored with math when it stopped having an answer. I liked math for having an answer. That's that's what I wanted. I love that this show has become a cycle of showcasing the work of non-mathy people and revealing it's secretly all math. <laughs> Oops, all math. No. <laughs> exactly. Well, for today's topic on The Last of Us, Tara brought us three core ideas that apply to both her work as an epidemiologist and to the apocalyptic world of the HBO series. Oh, Based on everything I remember from COVID back in March of 2020, I'm guessing we'll be talking about a disease's rate of infection. Right on the money. That's the first point she brought up. You know, we call it the R-naught. It's the R0, as you've probably seen in the newspapers and different things like that. And um, it's it's really fun that that's actually something that everybody kind of understands, uh, you know, that it's important now. Oh, I remember this from the early days of COVID when everyone was trying to figure out how contagious the coronavirus was. And that's basically what R-naught is telling us. For example, measles has one of the highest R-naughts that epidemiologists track. Measles is is the highest we kind of count, and that is 18. So for every person, and the R-naught means like for every person infected, they will infect 18 more people. 
which is why it's always a big deal when you have the Disneyland outbreaks of measles. So how do we calculate the R0? It's a lot of factors. There's the three kind of basic things that go into it. The first being the infectious period, or as Tara puts it, time of contagiousness. Um, so how long that you personally are contagious. So for in the game um, or the movies or TVs, you know, for The Last of Us, you are going to have a very high value for contagiousness because you are willing or unable to spread it for as long as you're walking. So it's the amount of time that you still have the disease and can spread it to others. Right. How long are you contagious to others? So for real diseases where you aren't in treatment, it's an incredibly long time for something like HIV and much shorter for the rhinovirus or the common cold. And in The Last of Us, this number is infinite, I guess, since, uh, spoilers, once you get bit by a fungus zombie, you're contagious forever. Unless Joel or somebody else takes you out. Yeah. So what's the second factor for calculating the R0? The second thing that goes into your R0 besides how how long someone is contagious is um, how easily it can be spread. So here we're talking about transmission, things that are airborne spread through a population much easier than something that requires contact with a bodily fluid. So for instance, um, you know, uh, if you have to bite somebody to have it spread, that is harder to spread than if something is airborne. Right. So while the cordyceps stay in your system forever in the show, it's harder to transmit because it requires you being bitten. I haven't played the game that the show is based on, but apparently in the game, there's an airborne component too, since in real life, mushrooms produce spores, which could conceivably be another way you could get infected. I see why they didn't do that in the show, though. Not very easy or interesting visually. <laughs> right? You can't get a jump scare from spores like you do from horrifying zombies. And for the third major factor in determining r not, it's contact rate. That would be sort of, you know, your likelihood of being infected. Um, so the contact, how many points of contact, how many people you're going to see, obviously, is part of it. Oh, this is where social distancing comes into play. Social distancing is a really good example of that on how you can influence the r not by just taking away one of those parts of components of the, uh, of the calculation. You take away the contact and then you've, you know, you've lowered the r not. So infectious periods plus transmission mode plus exposure or contact rate gives you R0, also called R0. Easy math, right? The R0 is also dependent. Uh, the way it's calculated is that everybody is vulnerable. So in the, in, the sign, in, in the calculation of an R0, that means that no one has had a vaccine, no one has immunity, no one is, you know, this is, this is if we're all vulnerable this is how quickly it would spread. Of course, both the game and the real world have pretty clearly shown us that this just gives us an approximate measure. Totally. Yeah, you have those three basic things I was talking about, but you also have policy implementation, um, other environmental factors that can really change stuff. So did you ask Tara to estimate the r not for the cordyceps infection shown in The Last of Us? <laughs> sure did. The R not, I would assume, in The Last of Us is somewhere close to infinity. I, I, you know, I can't grasp how that's it's not just out of the world high. But um, so it might be kind of hard to use that as the example because at that point, 
math is of no help. It is just you have gone into this uh, post-apocalyptic, you know, world. But in the real world, how we take these things and in and math and use it to determine how infectious this is, again, by using these components of contact, likelihood of infection, and mode of transmission, um, come up with sort of these arbitrary numbers. But these arbitrary numbers also help us to define policy. They help us to uh, figure out how exactly to um, prevent infections, how to, you know, if if things need to be curbed, if they need to just, you know, let it be, and also how we are going to tackle in things of healthcare. Oh, yep. Flattening the curve. Are you trying to give me early COVID flashbacks? <laughs> Sorry. I knew there was a danger of that when we decided to cover The Last of Us. But let's try to keep it in the realm of fiction as best we can. Uh, thank you. But you're totally right that we're going to be talking about flattening the curve and explaining what exactly we're referring to as the curve. But... After a short message from UCPN. If you're enjoying this show and learning about the important research, here's another University of Chicago Podcast Network show that you should check out. It's called Nine Questions with Eric Oliver. Have you ever wondered who you are but don't know who to ask? Then join Professor Eric Oliver as he poses the nine most essential questions for knowing yourself to some of humanity's wisest and most interesting people. All right, let's talk curves, or more accurately, slopes. I saw a comic the other day that said, uh, one more day where I haven't used Y equals um, MX plus B. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I used that yesterday though. (laughs) I use that every day. (laughs) Oh God. Now instead of COVID flashbacks, I'm having high school flashbacks. This is a pretty basic equation that describes a linear relationship, right? It's the basis for understanding disease spread in epidemiology. Although, obviously, this line gets complicated really fast. Can we do a quick reminder of what everything stands for? Sure. X and Y are the points, or coordinates, that identify where we are along the slope. And I remember B is the intercept, you know, where the line or slope starts at the zero point. And then M is the actual slope of the line. Pretty simple, all told. I do wish that people would think about, like, how much math in general affects every part of your daily life, particularly in epidemiology, but it also doesn't have to be as hard as it as it appears to be. Not everything is super complicated. You know, your Y equals MX plus B is something that's actually a very simple calculation. It's not super difficult. And these are like the basis of, you know, most of the things that we do. So at the top of the show, you said we were going to cover three core ideas. Mm-hmm. We've gone over infection slopes and calculating R naught. What's the last one we're missing? They also have the ability, at least to, in the show, I, I assume there must be a way to do it in, in the game too, of uh, checking to see if somebody has been infected. Oh, yeah. They have the little handheld sensor that lights up green if you're uninfected and red if you got bit. They never really talk about this in the world of the show or the game. But somehow that test is shown to always be 100% accurate. Oh, so you can suspend your disbelief for a worldwide epidemic of mushroom zombies, but you draw the line at testing? (laughs) Look, we all have our hills to die on. Yep. Mine's that white chocolate is not chocolate, and I don't care what science says. (laughs) But back to my hill, 
In the show, they have a rapid way of testing people for the fungus that seems to have perfect sensitivity and, we assume, perfect specificity. These sound like scientific terms with defined meanings. Right you are. Sensitivity, meaning that um, in any test that you get, we call them screener tests, you know, whether it be for cancer, whether it be for, you know, COVID, uh, which is, you know, what all of these, uh, your antigen test is, your take-home test is a screener test. This is basically, there's two ways you can do it. You can have things that are really, really sensitive. Say if something is 99% sensitive, it means that it will pick up pretty much everybody who's got it. But it will also, you know, uh, like it is going to, you know, that's that's everybody who's got it um, is, is a true positive. So even if you have the tiniest amount of fungus or spores in your system, a sensitive test is going to catch that very small signal. If you test positive on that test, you really have it. And for specificity... Now you have specificity, which is sort of the opposite, which is the negative. If you test negative on a test, then you are truly negative. Oh, I really remember these concepts from all the rapid testing we did for COVID. Exactly. The at-home tests versus going into a clinic for a PCR test that had different levels of specificity and sensitivity. The idea is that you want to um, combine the two so you have high sensitivity and high specificity. Like, the at-home tests weren't always that sensitive, and they'd sometimes say you were fine when the lab test showed that you actually did have COVID. And this kind of testing was extra important for COVID because most people were infectious before they started showing any symptoms. Which made it so much easier to spread. The Last of Us was also pretty good on showing symptoms soon, um, which is sort of another thing that can kind of, you know, help into uh, determining not only um, policy and the R-naughts, but like, yeah, that sort of math of like, with COVID, we had a lot of people who were, you know, you're most infectious right before you start showing symptoms. Whereas um, the the other way of The Last of Us, you're, you're not going to attack until you're actively showing symptoms. Oof. Yeah, it would have been much easier to deal with COVID if you showed symptoms sooner and were more aware that you were sick. I think The Last of Us was such a hit because it really centered good storytelling on how people relate to each other, especially under difficult circumstances. But for the nerds among us, it was also pretty great at including some of those scientifically plausible ideas. I, I did like that idea of having the maternal antibodies because, I mean, this is this is why women are, you know, encouraged to breastfeed. Yes, entertainment as an educational tool. I mean... We like to make fun of Hollywood and shows getting stuff wrong, but people really do learn a lot from the media we consume. And in the case of The Last of Us, it's a great tool for introducing the basics of epidemiology. I think that people don't realize how much math and statistics is in epidemiology. <clears throat> and it's, you know, it's actually wonderful and fantastic. The great underlying thing of, of life is math. Don't forget to check out our show notes in the podcast description for more about Tara's research, the science in The Last of Us, and how you can support the ongoing WGA SAG strike. And if you like the show, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. By rating and reviewing the show, you really help us spread the word about Carry the Tube so that other listeners can discover us. 
And for more on the math research being shared at MC, be sure to check us out online at our homepage, mc.institute. We're also on Twitter at mc underscore institute, as well as Instagram at mc.institute. That's mc spelled I-M-S-I. And do you have a burning math question? Maybe you have an idea for a story on how mathematics and statistics connect with the world around us. Send us an email with your idea. You can send your feedback, ideas, and more to sadiewitt at mc.institute. That's S-A-D-I-E-W-I-T at mc.institute. We'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Tyler Dammy, for his production on the show. And music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Lastly, Carry the Two is made possible by the Institute for Mathematical and Statistical Innovation, located on the gorgeous campus of the University of Chicago. We're supported by the National Science Foundation and the University of Chicago. I also just started recording. Or I guess, what's the last of us? What? You didn't invite me? I love dancing with masks on. It's, uh, no, something. Get your blankie. Oh, God, it's so hot in this comforter. (laughs) 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 You're like, yeah, that was actually terrible. That was really bad. (sighs) Also, my foot's falling asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Your life is so hard. (laughs) Trapped in a blanket. <laughs> You're like, I'm done with this. I'm so hot. I am. I can't wait to throw this off me. <laughs>